Thank you for listening to this episode of the Our View podcast. On today's episode, I welcome my guests, Micah and Jillian Thomas. Join our conversation as we discuss their family dynamics of raising their daughter who has spina bifida and a family of other siblings who do not have disabilities and find out what advice they have for parents raising children who have disabilities. So um, welcome to the uh, Our View podcast. So um, if you could, can you just introduce yourselves and, um, you know, tell tell the listeners as little or as much as you would like <laughs> about who you are and, <laughs> um, you know, your story? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start first. Uh, I guess uh, my name is Micah Thomas, and uh, I'm a Montgomery, Alabama native, and i um, I'm a entrepreneur, CEO of a new company called Storycore, uh, which has been in the works for the past three years. And um, as a part of that, I'm also another hat as a husband and father uh, of six, actually. And um, uh, I have the younger three with my beautiful wife, Jillian, here. And um, I'm a full sale alumnist. I know you probably have a few fans who may have uh, gone through there as far as school goes. And uh, we are the proud parents of a daughter uh, who is now six years old named Donna Faith, uh, who also has spina bifida. And so uh, we're really excited to have the opportunity to share about our experience. Um, um, my name is Jillian Thomas. I'm a stay-at-home mom and I homeschool and I help my husband with his business. And um, I don't think you mentioned this, but you're a pastor as well. Right. So he has a church that... Um, we're a part of and do stuff for, um, and you know, I'm a Troy University alumnus, and um, I guess to tell about our combined story, we met September of no August or September of 1997, right. um, where we met at the Alabama School for the Blind, um, where I am a graduate. Um, yeah. And we got together February of 09 and we've been together ever since. That's awesome. <laughs> Such a great story. Um, so th the long story, very short, is I uh, connected with you, Micah, through uh, the great, <laughs> the great uh, new app of uh, Clubhouse and <laughs> just um you know being in in different rooms and you you're able to connect and uh i love the app because it's uh it's real time and you know there's no wall like on facebook or or the other apps it's you know and you have to use your voice you literally have to use your voice to to speak to people um you know so i i really you know appreciate that about the app and um so we connected uh, just a few short days ago, and then it was, uh, you wrote me and said, you know, your daughter's uh, story is very similar to mine and that she has spina bifida and, uh, you know, and you would like to be a guest on the podcast. So, you know, here we are literally within the same week of, uh, you know, meeting each other. So thank you both so much for joining me for this, uh, for this episode. It's, it's uh, it, we're excited and glad to be a part of it. Any conversation that can help bring awareness. 
um, or or uh, just provide another perspective uh, from the story of those who are trying to be important. So, um, so in your introduction, you uh, said that you have a daughter, and I said that's how we um, connected through uh, the story of me having spina bifida and your daughter having spina bifida. So, can you tell um, can you tell the the uh, listeners uh, about your daughter's diagnosis and the story of um, you know how you found out about her diagnosis and how that has um, impacted her life and uh, your family dynamic? I'll let, I'll let Jill take on with the with the first of this. It would be unfair <laughs> if since I didn't carry Donna Faith. <laughs> I, I can I can fill in whatever crack she leaves out. <laughs> I think I was uh, I was about twenty weeks pregnant, and we went in to do the the ultrasound that would initially tell us what gender she was because we were all about knowing boy or girl, you know, because I'm um, uh-huh. planner. So um, the I took my two kids that we already had, Andrew and and Kennedy, and um, their godfather, which is our best friend, was with us. So it was kind of like a big deal. And um, obviously, we we had bets going on and everything. So we get in there, and um, of course, I'm laying up there with all the goo on my stomach, and she starts to do the ultrasound. And within a maybe three or four minutes she was you know she told us it was a girl but she like kept going like she was very quiet and she just kept looking and kept looking and I had done this twice before so I wasn't (laughs) a stranger to this and I was like um you already told us it's a girl what's what's taken so long is everything okay I'm I'm getting kind of nervous like I don't something's not right and she goes well, I don't really want to alarm you. Um, and I really need to talk to the doctor first before anything is confirmed, but it looks like there may be some spinal cord issues. And obviously I was <laughs> like just stunned, shocked and absolutely beyond terrified. And mm-hmm. um, uh, she left and told us to, you know, just wait for the doctor. And um, the whole time I was, I just, I prayed and I was terrified because I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't, I think my biggest fear was whatever this is, I'm scared it's going to cause me to lose her. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was the biggest fear that I had. Cause I was like, you know, as long as she's, alive i can i can do anything you know like (laughs) a lot um and when the doctor came in she told us that um she was pretty positive that she had um a myelomeningocele on her spinal cord and she wasn't exactly sure what kind of myelomeningocele we were looking at so she was going to need to transfer us to specialists in birmingham um for the long-term care of me and her once she was born. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously that was just, I remember for, um, it took two or three weeks before we could get into the specialist in Birmingham, which is about two hours away. And I think for those two weeks, it was a lot of tears, a lot, a lot, a lot of praying 
<laughs> and a lot of friends coming by and just offering their condolences. And it was kind of, it. What, I think what scared me the most is like everybody, it was almost like everybody was mourning. Well, you have to understand, we, we didn't know what Spiral Bifida was. I grew up in Laredo and I had a very good friend of mine um, who had Spina Bifida and she was what the kind that she had, I'm not even sure what kind she had. I'm, sadly, I'm no longer in contact with her, but she was completely and totally paralyzed from like the belly button down. So mm -hmm. that was all I had to go on was her past case. So I did have some kind of familiarity with it. Like I knew what it was, generally speaking, like I knew it, it, it was a problem with the spinal cord and I knew that it, it caused paralysis. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think the biggest problem I had during that two or three weeks before we went to the specialist was, you know, a lot of researching, a lot of tears, a lot of praying, a lot of friends coming by and offering condolences. And it was almost like people were mourning her already. And I think that was, to me, that was the scariest thing because it was almost like they were mourning the loss of her and she was still there, you know, right. so that was that was probably the hardest thing for me anyway so i mean that's that's she basically told the whole story so i mean it's <laughs> um uh that's what it was or at least she had some exposure to it i knew nothing about it um other than you know this was possibly going to be an issue the only um the only thing i had to lean on essentially was the the visit with the specialists uh, at the hospital where they were able to sit down with us and just state okay well these are some of the associated problems that might be the case um and they really did try i think possibly on purpose now that i look back at it retrospect but they did kind of give us a worst case scenario okay she's probably not going to be able to do this or do that um you know uh, walking mobility is not going to be a thing so they kind of gave us a lot of um what she's not going to be able to do and I, I look back at that and I think perhaps that was just a part of the process to uh, make sure they gave us the worst so that if the best case scenarios were uh, possible, then it would be a certain um, delight. Um, in any case, at the time, uh, we were I just kind of situated with certain resolve to just kind of develop some understanding of this life that we were getting ready to embark on and um, some of the challenges that we might face. And it's just been a journey of um, sort of discovery about these kinds of things and other people, obviously, that have spina bifida or families or members affected um, by it. And then, of course, just trying to find the right path to have the most full life possible uh, within that framework. Yeah, that's, and it's so interesting. You said your daughter is six, right? Um, so I'm 39, and my parents didn't know I had spina bifida until I was born. And yeah, but what you said the doctors told you the worst case scenarios sounds very similar to what they told my parents <laughs> um if you yeah. look at it now it's it kind of makes me grateful because and i know that sounds really weird but let me explain that um i'm the kind of person and i know my husband hates me for this but i'm the kind of person that's like i i hope for the best but i expect the worst that way I'm never underprepared and I'm never disappointed. So I'm really grateful that they gave me like the worst case scenario because I prepared myself for it. And I think if they had given me the, the, the best case scenario, I don't think it would have 
mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared me as much as I was for when she got here and everything that subsequently happened once she was here. So I'm really grateful that they kind of like gave us the worst case scenario. Yeah. So then, so then that, that way, if it's not as bad as they say, then it's like, okay, I was, you know, I was expecting a little bit worse than that. So, you know, so it's like, okay, like I can handle this because I was, you know, I was told it would be a lot worse than this. So, you know, my parents were told that I wouldn't live past the age of 16, past the age of 15. Um, You know, and that was 40 years ago now, um, because they, you know, thankfully now the technology has um, improved so much that people can, uh, you can see it now on the ultrasounds and they have the fetal surgeries available. And, um, you know, so it's just, it's amazing for me to see and hear stories of, uh, you know, children that were born uh, in more recent years to hear their experiences and, um, you know, and what they, what their parents were told and and all of that. So it's really, um, you know, really great uh, to hear your your story. So thanks for uh, sharing that. Um, you have, uh, you said other children, correct? We right. have, well, we have five. He and oh, I great. Three, and then he has three with his first wife. So we have- Awesome, six, awesome. <laughs> yeah, how how does that, uh, how's, how is, is that with uh, so many children? Uh, well, to me, I, I love, the fact of having six kids because nobody's ever like me too you know it's 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 uh, <laughs> just it puts you it sets you apart a little bit um and it challenges you a little bit because you always you, you can't just automatically assume who did it you really gotta do some detective work so it keeps that sharp and <laughs> um and as far as their relations together uh they, mm-hmm. they are normal and as healthy as as any other siblings they fight they fuss they they, they love each other uh, five minutes later and, and, and all of that. And, and most importantly, I think all of them, um, and I guess through that lens, have sort of normalized Donna Faith as well and allowed her to understand and believe that she is just like the rest of them. So um, uh, due to that, I think that that's very healthy. It helps. Um, she doesn't feel uh, like a special needs case in our household mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. Not anymore, um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, about everything, <laughs> I think. But, um, but she's doing everything that she can do that they're doing, and 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 all the fussing and the fighting. She gets all of the normal down here. Gets that's very true. And just like I mean, because she's the baby, baby. Like she's <laughs> out of all six. So the older five, they're like, well, I can pick on her, and I can push her buttons, and I can make her mad, and. <laughs> You know, I can take her stuff and I can manipulate her just like any mm-hmm. other sibling. But when it comes to like her getting in trouble or, you know, something like that, or somebody else messing with her, they're like ravenous hyenas. They're like, oh, not my sister. You're not, you know, like they're. Oh, and that's, they're and that's how it should be. <laughs> yeah. And that's how, it should be. And that's how we've, we've kind of raised them from day one is she's the baby and you need to be protective over her because you know she's the baby not because she has a disability but because she's the baby Uh uh-huh yeah I mean it was the same way for my sister and I like nobody nobody fought with me more than my sister (laughs) but the second somebody else would try my sister was the first one to defend me so (laughs) 
And that's how they are. Like they will actually defend her against us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute, we're the parents. You're not supposed to do this. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's fun. That that yeah, that has to be um, you know, an eventful household with uh with six. You know, it was just like I said, it was just me and my sister, but you know, so it was either it was either one or the other who did something. It, it was pretty easy to figure out which one it was. <laughs> yeah, we're only on this podcast with you until we smell smoke. And at that point we have to yeah. <laughs> right. Right. We have to end the meeting for all. <laughs> well, uh, I think a, a good deal from her just in, you know, this is obviously their first experience with a special needs case, so to speak. Um, so they've gained a great deal, I think, of real world education on what it's like um, to deal with someone with a disability, um, to understand that their disability doesn't define them um, and that their soul, their character, uh, their mental faculties and emotions are all intact, and uh, they've learned a lot of great lessons just by having her. Uh, in yeah, I think I think that is a true, like a real thing. I was um, I was in a clubhouse room last night. Um, there were there were five of us um, in the room, so it was a very small room, um, and out of the five four of us um, who were talking, all four of us had different disabilities and we were talking about um, our upbringing and, and what our um, social life was like, you know, growing up as, as kids. And I was able to share with them. I said, well, like all my first friends were my family because like, it's, it was just my sister and I who were around my age. I said, but I had a bunch of cousins. And I said, you know, with my cousins, we never talked about my spina bifida, but it was always, you know, like, like you said about your daughter, you know, uh, Arthur is going to the park with you. He's doing everything that you do. And he, you know, he walks a little slower than you. So you have to wait for him, but he's going, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's going with you and you're going to take him. And I don't um, think for a minute that everything is always perfect with them and they're oh, no. they treat her with gloves. You know, we have, you know, they're, they're, a normal 11 and, and eight year old, we have issues with them. Like I remember this mm -hmm. one, um, they were going to go out in the backyard and play. And I'm always telling them they're all, you know, let's go out and play. And I'm like, sure, take your sister. And I remember they, you know, they got her walker outside and they got, you know, helped her down the stairs and get on her walker. And they went out into the yard to play. And she was like, well, wait for me. I want to play too. And my son turned around and was like, no, I don't really want you to play. You're too slow. And uh, I was like, I was at the kitchen sink. So I was like right next to the back door anyway. So, so I heard it and uh -huh. I was like, oh, what? No. <laughs> I stepped outside and she's just standing there pouting and they're running off into the backyard. So I, I took off after them and I grabbed them by their collars and I walked them up front and I was like, sit down. <laughs> I was like, we're going to have a talk. And I was like, you know, how would you feel if you were told that you couldn't play because of something that you couldn't help? Something right. that there's no fix for. It's not fair. It's not nice. It would hurt your feelings. You just hurt hers. Now you're going to apologize and you're going to come back inside. No right. more playing. <laughs> no, right. Now nobody gets to go out. Look at that. <laughs> They've been helpful through the years and, and not just due to our correction, but also due to their own 
uh, arrivals at certain conclusions as a part of certain situations, they've developed empathy and it's, and it's been a, a great lesson. Yes, I think that is so big, the empathy part. Um, I, I don't have any kids of my own, but I have a niece and a nephew. And so the empathy part is really big on, um, you know, what I'm trying to change. I, I, I want to see and have, uh, you know, have people be more empathetic towards those who have disabilities and, uh, you know, realize that, that we'd like to do all of the same things that everyone else likes to do, no matter our age. Uh, you know, like I'm 39, so I, I like to go out when we're allowed to again. Um, <laughs> you know, I like to go out and go to concerts and, and go to sporting events and, and stuff just like everyone else my age. And, uh, you know, children like to play video games and they like to, uh, you know, go to amusement parks and swim and all that stuff. And I do too. And so it, it's really just um, to break down the barriers, I think, of uh, the stereotypes that exist still uh, in 2021 now that, uh, you know, that exist for people that have disabilities. I think that's a, a big, um, you know, big goal and a big lesson that uh, a lot of people need to, um, you know, need to learn and, um, you know, start caring and, and being more empathetic. I think that's a big, a big piece of changing the conversation about disabilities. Uh, what advice would you give to parents who are faced with um, having a child who has a disability. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but when I got the questions, this was the one I kind of focused on. I was like, oh, I want to answer this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my husband works very hard. And so he's out of the house a lot. So we do, um, we do a lot of things in the house. Um, and at first, uh, she was like six weeks old and we started having um, someone come in. It was called early intervention, but it was basically like mm -hmm. um, rehab services for infants uh, right. and they came in and they worked with her until she was three. And then when she was three, she was placed into um, a special school program for kids with handicaps. So during um that time that early in intervention was coming to the house and we were doing like physical therapy and occupational therapy and um, all of this other stuff with her. I was always really protective and of her, you know, she not, not primarily because of her disability that I didn't understand all that well, but because, you know, she's a girl and she's my baby and she's like, <laughs> the baby, you know, so um, I was always doing, 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 doing for her. And, um, <laughs> I remember that her physical therapist that used to come for early intervention and the physical therapist that she was seeing at the hospital, um, and all of her doctors and everybody just were constantly telling me, you gotta stop you've got to listen the way you have got to let her do things on her own because you're hindering her from progressing and um when she turned three and they were like you need to put her in this school obviously we can't force you to do that and i just I sat on the stairs with that woman and I cried and I cried and I cried and I was like, nobody loves her like me and nobody can do for her like me and nobody mm. understands her like me and nobody, 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 me, 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 me. <laughs> and 
she looked at me and she put her hand on my shoulder and she goes, you're really getting on my nerves. <laughs> and I was like, I was so affronted. I was like, what are you talking about? She, she was like, you're hurting her more than you're helping her. And you're, you're making this more about yourself and how it's hard for you. Hmm. And you need to make it more about her and letting go and letting her be able to do what she needs to do and let her learn and let her, let her, let her. And it was almost like a slap across the face because I was like, for three years, I've been thinking I've been doing this the right way. And that they were just being mean and they didn't understand her and they didn't understand her, her, her disability, which was their forte. They understood Mm -hmm. it better than I did, (laughs) you know, and it was, it, it, it hurt, but it was an awakening that I was not being the best parent for her that I could. And that's when I was like, I I didn't just like put on the training wheels and slowly let go. It was like, I just dropped that sack of potatoes and let them fly wherever they did. I mean, I let go and I let go with a vengeance. I was like, that's it. I'm done. And it was, it was almost like an anger at myself. And I was like, she's got to be the best person she can be. And she can't be the best person she can be. If mommy is too busy mommying the baby. Wow. Yeah, I think. I was only going to say, I mean, she actually answered it perfectly. So I don't have uh, anything. (laughs) My best advice for anybody that's watching this and um, they're pregnant with somebody that they just found out may have a disability. And it doesn't doesn't even matter what the disability is. Not just, you know, I'm I'm legally blind. So Mm -hmm. I grew up with a disability, which is really shocking because that, that just means that I should have known better and yeah. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> um, but you know, it doesn't matter what the disability is. The advice is still the same. They're a human being and they're going to be fine and you're going to be fine. But the most important thing in order to be fine is that letting go is essential to growth and progress and growing up, not just for the the kid growing up, but for you as well. That was, that was a hard, hard, hard lesson to learn. And it's, it still is. Sometimes I still catch myself, you know, wanting to do everything for her. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it has nothing to do with the fact that it, you know, she's, she's disabled or she can't, or she doesn't know how it's, that's my baby. And I just want to keep her a baby. Well, well, she's, she's six. I'm 39 and my mom still hasn't stopped either. So (laughs) I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for you, but, (laughs) and it's, it's the thing of, you know, there are just caring and giving people in this world. And um, I know for a fact, my mom, my, my mom is definitely one of those people. And it's just, um, you know, it's like, she can't help herself. If she's not helping someone, it's just like, she's like, what, what do I do with myself? Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, sure, fine. You can. But then other times, like I live in my apartment by myself. Other times I'm just like, no, like, please, no, I don't need you to, you know, 
I, I don't need you to do that. No, thank you. Like, I appreciate it, but <laughs> you know, if you could do this, that's great, but like, please leave this alone. <laughs> yeah, so she has an attitude. Like there are times <laughs> where she'll be like, mommy, can you, or AJ, can you, or Gracie, go get me. And I'm like, ah, wait, <laughs> no, uh-uh, we're not going to do that. You, you get over there and you do it yourself. You know, right. You can do it. And there are times where I'm like, you know, let mommy help you. And she's like, I can do it by myself. yeah there's that fine line of uh of wanting help or or, uh, asking for help and wanting help and not needing help it's and it changes you know it changes all the time (laughs) that's the uh that's the funny part because sometimes i i do the same thing and my mom's like oh well no i thought you said you didn't want you know (laughs) i thought you said you didn't want me to do that like i didn't then but now i would like for you to <laughs> like that would be great if you could. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it, it's I, I think it's just a, you know, even like you said, uh, you know, having a disability yourself, it's like you know you think you would have known better, but it's just like no, it's just it's who you are, and uh, you know, it's a good good quality to have, I think, because I I find myself doing the same thing with you know people I know with friends and and just um, you know just being there and being a caring person. It goes back to the empathy thing, I think. Um, you know, which is, is, uh, you know, another fine line that, uh, can, <laughs> you know, go a little too far and it's just like, oh no, I got to back, you know, back away from that a little bit. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I really, um, you know, definitely can identify with, with a lot of these, uh, points in, in the conversation that we're having. <laughs> um, so just one last question that I have, which I end all of my, um, my podcast episodes with is uh, what do you want the world to know about those who have disabilities? It can be one thing or two things or however many things you can think of. (laughs) Um, I would say that uh, for anybody that has disabilities or what I would want the world to to know, and obviously the world we're speaking to is those that probably don't have disabilities, um, is that uh, always be positive concerning what people with disabilities or handicaps can do. And um, just because they may have uh, circumstances that cause them to be creative in how they can do things, uh, it doesn't mean that the restriction is necessarily uh, or necessarily a, a, a denial. You wanna give them the space and the opportunity to be creative. Uh, which can be difficult. It can cause um, feelings of discomfort, uh, insecurity, um, concern, worry, uh, and the like. And, and the person with the disability in, in many cases understands that, um, but they request the same credit uh, from you in, in investing in their personal equity as, as anybody else. They deserve the chance to try to overcome um, what are mostly limitations of society and the mind, not always within the person's ability. Uh, give them a little time to think about it, to experiment, to try it out, right. and you'll be surprised at what they can add to the world. That's great. <laughs> Mine's a little, a little different. Um, <laughs> I mean, I totally agree with what he's saying, but I think the biggest thing that I would want to make the world aware of is And I think this just comes with growing up, having a disability as well, and now being an adult with a disability. Um, 
mean, let's just call it how it is. People are afraid of what they don't understand and fear makes people act irrationally. Yes. So what I would want the world to know is don't stare and make assumptions and whisper behind people's back. If you don't understand and you see somebody that has a disability, we are totally fine with you coming to us and asking questions. We want you, we want you to know what's going on. We don't want you to make assumptions. We want you to be educated and informed so that you no longer fear it. And so your actions are no longer uncalled for and irrational. The world would be a better place if people were just kind, were just understanding and empathetic. And like I said, just kind, just be a kind person. And if you don't understand, or even if you're just curious, just come and ask. That's all we want is for you to come and ask. Because if you think about it, just coming to us and asking us about it is a way of including us. And ultimately we are, most of us are always being excluded because people think we can't. And that's, that's another assumption. So just come and ask and you'll educate yourself and you'll be more informed and ultimately you'll be a kinder person and there will be less misunderstandings and more education. And I think that ultimately would cut back on a lot of stigma when it comes to the disabled community. Anything you can understand, you can help defend your credibility. So. Yes, I, um, I, I love both of your answers for that because um, it, it's just, it's so, so true that, you know, for me, I've, I go out a lot by myself, not so much uh, these days, but, you know, I go to the store a lot by myself and, um, you know, there are a lot of times where people will just stare at me and it's like, they're not sure if they want to ask if I need help or cause they see that I'm, they see that I'm by myself, number one. So that, that gives, I think two impressions that like, oh, he's by himself or like, oh, wow, look at that. He's, he's doing everything by himself. It's either like the, you know, the plus side or the minus side of it all. Um, and it's, um, you know, they're, they're like staring and it's like, do I ask him if he needs help? Cause he looks like he has it all going together and going on, but you know, the inside of him wants to ask. And I, I never mind um, if people, you know, if people ask me if I need help and if I do, I will gladly say, yes, I need that on the top shelf. And, you know, can you get me two of them or, <laughs> or whatever it is? Uh, I, I gladly will let you know when I need help. And I, I've gotten a lot better. I usually would um, shy away from asking, uh, you know, asking for help. But, you know, if I do see people that, um, you know, that are close by and I need something, I might like, Hey, can you, before you leave, can you get that for me? Uh, so it's really, but it is, it's, I think it's a tough thing. And I think, um, what people, like you said, what people don't know, uh, you know, they're, they're afraid of it. And it's, it's just really just, um, you know, just have the conversation and, and break the ice and, and ask, you know, ask people, what is, what is your story? I, I saw someone uh, say that, you know, instead of saying like, what's wrong with you? Like ask them, what, what is your story? And, you know, how did you become a wheelchair user? Um, 
you know, just something, something to start the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But something I think, you know, we've been spending this whole, um, this whole recording talking to people about the, the disabled community, but something I would like to say to the disabled community, because I've been guilty of this myself, if we don't change, other people won't change as well. So if somebody comes up to you and just says, you know, would you mind if I asked what your story was? Or, you know, I see you're struggling a little bit. Can I give you a little bit of help? There's so many of us that are just so prideful that it's just like, I don't mm -hmm. need your help. Or, well, it's none of your business. If we got out of that mindset and we put our pride aside and right. we could just try to educate instead, you know, because we're so used to being persecuted or, or um, just kind of pushed off to the side or, or segregated as somebody different. It, we do that to others as well. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. Pride will get the better of you and you segregate your, you continue to segregate yourself or you push other people aside because, well, they're not disabled and they don't get it. So if we could just change our own mindset, you know, that not everybody that comes to us and wants to know what our story is or what our problem is or why we were born like that, or do you need some help? You know, whatever they come, you know, and of course there's different ways of coming to somebody. If somebody walked up to me and goes, you know, what's wrong with your eyes? Yeah, right. that's, you know, it, it's all about how you put yourself out there and the, the verbiage that you use and the tone of voice in which you use, but not everybody that comes to you and asks you a question is doing it negatively uh, right. or derogatory fashion if we could change ourselves because there are so many of the the disabled community that is so prideful that we push back when no pushback is deserved yes so like I, not everything so, is an attack exactly not, <laughs> yeah, not everything every is an attack yeah not everything is an attack and not everything is negative just um you know and again like you said it's i always say it's not what you say it's how you say it exactly so it's you know like you said if someone said well well what's wrong with your eyes like yeah that that causes you know that causes a little defense and you know i yeah i would come back at you a little hard <laughs> um you know but if someone is genuinely you know like wow like you know you seem to be getting around pretty well like you know like what you know how long have you been using a wheelchair like oh all my life uh, then, th then they're really interested, like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's, I, I don't mind the conversations, um, but it's the approach and not what you say, but how you say it to people, I think is, is what, you know, we can be mindful of. And then as you mentioned as well, the, that's, I think that's a really big thing for those of us uh, living with disabilities, like not everything is an attack. It's not meant to be offensive. And it's just, some people just don't know how to ask the questions. Um, so I think we all can, uh, again, going back to empathy, and I think we all can be a little more empathetic uh, for every, to everybody and just extend a little more kindness and grace to everybody. And just, um, you know, it, it's, but yeah, we have to be the ones within the disabled community. We have to be the ones to um, help make the change that we uh, wish to see. I think that's a, a really big thing. It's all about understanding that uh, essentially everybody's uh, disabled. <laughs> um, yeah. Some are just physically seen and others are emotionally disabled, mentally right. disabled, um, uh, <laughs> financially disabled. I mean, everybody is yeah. uh, 
disabled in some way or another. And I think disabilities are God's way of just reminding us that we all need each other um, to make connections. And for those that are physically disabled, it's important to understand that it's okay to be vulnerable while developing your own strength. Um, and for those who are not physically disabled, it's important to remember that there are, there are those out there that can use the advantages that you have in your, your physical abilities and strengths and whatever that might be. And again, it, it just adds to the great circle of life. And if we can have that understanding, then uh, the communities will work well together to produce a better world. And I think that is the perfect way to end this episode. That was, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I um I totally agree with you on on all of that. <laughs> it was really that was really good. Um, you know, good way to just wrap everything up. I looked at my teleprompter. I've been working on. <laughs> <laughs> I need to, I need to get a teleprompter. That's what I need. <laughs> but um, thank you both so so much for uh, joining me today and. Um, you know, taking time out of your day to uh, have this conversation with me because I, I really believe that this is um, important that we share our stories and um, because it, it's, you know, even though I, I said it before, like spina bifida is, is a common, um, you know, common disability. It's like one of the most common disabilities uh, that there that there are. Uh, but there are still people that have not heard of it and people that uh, don't know what it is. And I think that, um, you know, everybody's story is different. So, uh, you know, I can tell a hundred stories about myself and, you know, I can talk to 15 or 20 other people uh, who have spina bifida and their story can be, you know, similar in some parts and totally different in the other. So um, I appreciate you both uh, taking the time out to have this conversation with me and uh, I will definitely be in touch. And, um, you know, so I hope you all have a great evening and take care and I will, um, I'll be in touch with you all soon. <laughs> Thank so we'll you. Be glad to be in touch. Have a great one.